Welcome to Originality, the show where we explore the roots of creative genius and talk to those geniuses about what they do and why they are and how they explore all things creative. We're your hosts, Kay Tempest Bradford, that's me, my pronouns are she, her, and Aline Sims, who's always with me, and her pronouns are also she, her. Yay, Aline! Hello! Woohoo! So today, um, it's just going to be us, but we have a topic that we have both like touched on somewhat um, in previous episodes, and I thought it would be a good chance for us to do some deeper exploration. And it's talking about the connection between spirituality or religiosity and the creation of art. When we were talking about, like, what should September's episode be? And you were like, what if we talked about spirituality? And then you were like, Aline, are you a spiritual person? And I was like, F no! And then... (laughs) And then we started talking about it a little bit more and started talking about what kind of spirituality and a creative practice and specifically for me, a writing practice is, I was, I started to kind of reconsider. So let's maybe start from there and talk about like, uh, maybe define some terms or, or, or set some context for people because, I know for me coming from a, not a Christian upbringing, but a heavily Christian adjacent upbringing and a weird Christian adjacent upbringing, (laughs) uh, spirituality has some strange and icky connotations. And that's not that's not a condemnation on anybody. It's just like my background makes it feel tumultuous, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So why don't we couch from there in case there are people listening who kind of have that same kind of hackles up response when hearing anything about spirituality. Indeed. <laughs> and also like this, that moment actually made me wish this was a video podcast because the face that you were making, <laughs> we were talking about like tumultuous and icky. I'm like, yeah, that's the, <laughs> yeah, it was, that's yeah. the face. Yeah. So I, I guess I could start out by saying, um, I was also raised Christian. I was raised specifically AME Zion and that's a, a black church, uh, denomination. And my, um, I guess experience with Christian, spirituality and religion and stuff definitely did not give me trauma. And I have talked to other people because I remember being in college and experiencing a lot of people who were very anti-Christian, but mostly like they had come from a Christian background. They had a lot of religious trauma around Christianity and that informed how they were talking about it and what they did with their spirituality um, when they, you know, had left their home environment and stuff. And because I didn't have that same experience, like my experience with Christianity wasn't traumatic. I just realized through reading and stuff, I was like, this is actually not for me. And so um, it took me a really long time to realize how many people's like feelings are bound up in this, right? And I know that also, um, especially in America and uh, a lot of Europe and other places in the West, that we live in a Christianized culture, whether or not the, you know, it's like, this is a Christian country. Like, it's not really, America is not a Christian country, but sometimes people will say that because we do live in a very Christianized, Christianity-saturated culture, and that can, like, that can be a lot for some people. And then, of course, like, there are things that the church or churches have done, which are not okay. Like, there's just so much that's not okay. So, when you start talking about spirituality, yes, there there are going to be some people who are just like, ew, no, pull back and whatnot. Um, but the kind of connection between spirituality and art that I'm talking about definitely does not have to come from a place of organized religion. It does not have to come from a place even of like being from a majority religion. It doesn't have to be attached to a religion at all. It's more about an individual's connection to what would be termed spiritual. And that can vary across many different cultures, 
but it doesn't have to be about a god or gods, a goddess or goddesses. It doesn't have to be about any deity at all. It can be about what's going on with you and your spirit, however you define that, and how that connection to your spirit and your creativity can can go together. Sometimes um, a person's spiritual aspects of themselves, whether that comes from religion or not, can be the driving force behind their arts. And we see the results of this everywhere in the West, right? Like, you know, Gothic cathedrals or any kind of like very fancy cathedral or church building, that is art that was driven by spiritual purpose. And sometimes it's really beautiful and sometimes it's super oppressive. Um, <laughs> and and a lot of the great European artists uh, of you know, medieval times all the way up through the Renaissance and beyond, their art was definitely driven by their spirituality. And and that shows in their subject matter, right? And it's like, they're they're making pictures of Jesus. They're making pictures of God. Like the Sistine Chapel, it's like a whole thing, right? So many um, halos. <laughs> so many halos. And they're just like, why does that one have horns? How come that one's naked? Ah, there's so many things. But there is like throughout human history, all of human history, throughout all the cultures around the globe, spirituality or or spirit or spiritual understandings or supernatural understandings or whatever it is have always been part of art, informed art, and sometimes that's where the art comes from. Um, When we were first talking about this, I was uh, remembering that theater, the, the way that we have it in the West, like, directly came out of spiritual stuff because um, in some ancient cultures, the way that you would have a festival is that you would have have people playing the different deities that are involved in the mythologies, the folktales, the stories, whatever. And in many cultures, it is, you know, the idea is that you are literally taken over body and soul by that deity as you play them. You are that deity for that moment as you you know act out these things that that happened these stories whatever and that's where theater comes from it's just that at some point instead of everybody being the embodiment of a specific spirit deity whatever and acting out like you know these particular stories it's now we are you know, I'm the embodiment of Oedipus and I'm acting out the Oedipus like, oh, Lordy, how did I bring Oedipus into this? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, you know, Oedipus is not a deity. And and so, you know, it evolved out of that. Music. I watched this really great video about how one of the ways that, like, humans have always made music. And actually, music is one of the ways that you can solidify people into a community, like solidify the people in your in your tribe, in your community, in your group, in your city, in your religion, because when you have a rhythm that everybody is jiving to, everybody gets in sync, right? Like everybody's jiving to the same rhythm. They're all in sync. And that is apparently an easy, quick way to get humans to all feel like they're in community together. And so music also comes out of spirituality, but again, like not any specific spirituality, just spirituality in general, the way that humans have been doing spirituality for eons. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so I think the thing that um, helped me be receptive to this as a topic is kind of the idea of feeling like doing doing the thing whatever the thing is I, I feel like that needs to be my logo like do the thing it's so generic but like <laughs> doing <laughs> doing the thing whatever whatever form that that takes for you whatever creative pursuit that is if it's fulfilling to you then it might be a spiritual practice in some way. Um, when we were talking about this last week, um, I mentioned 
so the last few years, I don't I don't know if this will resonate with anybody, but the last few years have been kind of rough. Um, there's been some things kind of globally happening that have been upsetting. Um, my personal life, like my marriage is not in danger, but like (laughs) my personal life, there have been a lot of things happening and I have felt really lost. And I mean, this has been a recurring theme on the podcast for years. I'm, I'm well aware of that, but to, to the level where I'm like, I've since since I left, you know, office job America, I've dyed my hair vivid colors. I've, you know, I've um, cultivated a sense of style that felt very me. And I've been like, maybe I should just dye my hair brown again. Like, I, I just and. I finally have been in the headspace over the last several weeks where I have been able to sit down and write. Not a lot, not anything profound, not with any expectations, but I've been able to sit down and write. And I'm starting to feel like myself again. And I'm starting to think about like, what colors I want my hair to be again. And it starts, it's starting to feel more right again. And I realize that for me, it always comes back to writing. If I'm not writing, there's something in myself that I'm not accessing. And I don't know if it's a way of analyzing things. I don't know if it's um, slowing down to think about particular subjects because my brain goes on 10 topics at once, a thousand miles an hour. I, I don't know what it is, but I do know that I don't feel like me if I don't write. And as we were talking about this last week, and we were talking about spiritual practices, and I was talking to you about this, you were like, yes, Elaine, this is what I'm talking about. But I'm curious. So so I guess for me, that's what a spiritual practice is. It's just using a creative tool. And it, at different times in my life, it's been different things. Um, when I was younger, it was music. I was a flautist. Uh, I can't even read music anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, there have been other things that I have done throughout my life. But, like, writing has always been a, a part of it. So I think that that's probably what a spiritual practice looks like for me, is just making time and space for myself to to write. But... What does it look like for you? For me, it's uh, is a lot of different things, but mainly it is about treating my writing or creative practice in a similar way that I treat my spiritual practice. Because for me, they are tied together. For me, they are the same thing. For instance, like, I, as I mentioned, I grew up Amy's I am, but I'm not a Christian anymore. And what I am now is kind of, it doesn't really have like a simple explanation, but I draw my aspects of spirituality from a few different places and also based on my own experiences and the things that have come to me. And so even as like things came to me uh, and, and spiritual paths sort of opened up in front of me, all of them have always had something to do with writing mainly, but creativity in general. And so I really do take the stance that everybody is put on the planet for a reason, uh, whatever that reason may be. And sometimes you're able to fulfill your reason for being here and sometimes you're not. Um, I am very fortunate in that I am able to fulfill what I feel like the reason I was put here for, and that is to write uh, and to 
um, create positive change in culture through my art. And so that's what I try to do. Um, but I also really can't make art unless I acknowledge the spiritual aspect of it. Um, so I, you know, if I just, if I'm just like trying to sit and write and I'm not really, you know, paying attention or like getting myself into the right mindset or whatever, it's not going to work. Like a lot of my writer's block comes from me not preparing myself mentally, preparing my space. I'm going to say that again. It comes from not preparing myself mentally and not preparing a space for me to be able to even just begin, right? Because I haven't, and, and it's the same way when you sit to do, say, ritual, right? Like you don't just go into a ritual like, all right, here I am, let's sit down and let's draw this thing on the floor and let's pull dream into our <laughs> into our basement, like certain people. Um, yeah, like you can't like just go in and just willy-nilly do a ritual thing. Like you have to prepare the space, you have to prepare yourself, etc. And so I I have found over the years that like I definitely need to do that when I sit down to write. And that doesn't mean that I have to be in a specific place. Like some writers really do need that really. They're like, I have to be sitting in this chair in this room with these conditions in order to be able to do stuff. Right. For me, I can do it in any space, but only as long as I have prepared myself. And sometimes I don't do that because I'm lazy. I was just talking about this, how I'm lazy and I just want to like get right to the thing, but it never works out when I'm lazy and I get right to the thing. And so I need to stop and take the time and, and basically do it correctly from, from my frame point. So, so there's that. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this topic is because I recently realized that what I needed to do was I needed to set up a kind of writing altar in my office. Um, because I do a lot of my writing, or at least before the uh, global pandemic, I used to do a lot of my writing in coffee shops, cafes, that kind of thing. Um, because it was helpful for me to like get away from my home to do the thing. I like the the sort of buzz that comes from other people being around me. Uh, it's really nice to have access to caffeine so you can write like the wind. Um, <laughs> and uh, And also it's just like, it's just nice having other people. So I haven't been able to do that. And I haven't done a lot of writing in the last couple of years, although I have been like doing writing in terms of revisions for my book and stuff like that. But I haven't done a whole lot of just sitting down and like getting started on a new project. And I realized at one point that one of the reasons why that was is because I didn't, I wasn't taking advantage of the space that I had uh, to, to set up something that could like get me into that spiritual space. And so I set aside one of the, spaces in my office to be my writing space. And it's also my writing altar. And so I have things on the altar that are either representative of, uh, the entities that I work with in my spiritual practice, or there are things that inspire me. Um, I'll take a picture actually of this and, and I'll include it somewhere. I could, maybe we could put it in the show notes. I'm not sure, but, um, I'll, I'll make it available so you can see, but one of the things it includes is a picture that a friend of mine sent me for my birthday that represents me and this person and our other friend were like in a little triad and like the, the women in the picture, like they're wearing witch hats and they're like in a sort of like little foresty cafe. And they're just like sitting there talking to each other. But like that reminds me every time I look at it of all the times we have all sat down together and tried to work out some issue with one of our books or one of our stories or work through a thing. And like, that all of those sessions were always so important to me. And so I included that on my altar, not because like those particular sessions were spiritual, but because it reminds me of that feeling that I have and we're together and we're talking about writing and we're working it out. And, and so it just pulls me into a good space. And so a lot of it is that like, some of it is like, if you are a spiritual person, like actually connecting with, you know, whatever it is, your guides, your, you know, the, the, the entities that have inspired you, whatever it is. Right. But also just connecting with that feeling that you get when you are in the right place mentally and your soul is sort of like at ease that you can then open up and be creative. And so I, I created that space for myself. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? That's probably something that a lot of people do is they create like 
a spiritual space for themselves to write, even if they don't necessarily think of it in those terms. I definitely have uh, learned, I don't know that I would call it a spiritual space, but I do need my desk to be like fairly clutter free and cat free, which it is not right now. It is both covered in clutter and cats. Um, And, you know, it's helpful to have, it's just helpful for me to have an environment where I don't have to look at things um, other than what I'm focusing on because I'm so easily distracted. It's like I can either, my favorite place to study in college was um, this, like the student union building um, because it was so chaotic that it was really easy to block everything out. Um, and I, I, I think that that only makes sense to a certain type of person. Um, but it was just like, I could go in there and I could just focus and it was awesome. And that's like my ideal working environment is just utter chaos. But if it's not utter chaos, then it needs to be like distraction free. And, um, I, I think that it's interesting to think about spirituality in that and i'm i wonder how much of that like i'm trying to be open minded um i try to be open minded <laughs> um, <laughs> i i wonder how much of that need for a fairly distraction free environment like a, a fairly clutter free desk don't have a lot going on on the walls in the office um i wonder if that part of that is just like is that part of the the spiritual aspect of it? Like, is that just ADHD? Is it both? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like hmm. There's so many things that we're like hmm. ADHD. That's what caused that. Yeah. Um. And and I think it like it it can definitely be both. Um. As well as just being one of them, just depending on who you are. But um, the idea that because again. I'm the same way. Like I sort of like having a lot of stuff going around me that I can then ignore. And that helps me focus because then if it's too quiet, any little things, I'm even like, what's that? What's that? Do I need to pay attention to that? What's dinging? Right? <laughs> Can't have that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's either gotta be like stuff that's, you know, going on that I don't have to pay attention to or like really focus. And, and yeah, like that, that also can, you know, be part of a, a spiritual need because, it's it's the thing that your person, your consciousness, like whatever you want to call it, needs in order to be able to like tap into the thing that allows you to write. And I know that there are a lot of writers who talk about writing in a way that that feels very spiritual. Like a lot of artists in general, no matter what the art is, uh, will talk about art in these terms. And and some will just be like, no, no way. And you know, it's like, that's fine. Either way is fine. Like, there's no one way. And I'm not saying, like, if you're not thinking of your art in the spiritual terms, like, you're just a pretender. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that at all. Um, but what I do find interesting is how many people uh, talk about what they need to create art and they use spiritual terms, but they don't necessarily mean them spiritually. For instance, the whole idea of having a ritual before you sit down to write or when you sit down to write. Lots of you know, artists will talk about that. It's like, my ritual is I put on this shirt or I put on this sweater. I sit down in this chair. I have my mug of this kind of tea and I'm, you know, here's everything and it's ready. And then that's when my brain knows that it's time to write. And a, a spiritual ritual is not necessarily that far off. Um, it's more about like, intention, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the intention of a spiritual ritual isn't like, so it's like sit down and be like, now it's time to write a bestseller. <laughs> but, um, but when artists talk about, you know, the things that they do to get ready um, or the things that they do to tell their brain it's time to write, very similar to the, the concept of a spiritual ritual. And they will even use that word. So in the end, it's like, for some people, they do need the framework to be spiritual in order for them to really sink into their creative selves. And some people need the sort of like 
physical aspects of ritual, but don't necessarily need in their minds to think of it as a spiritual ritual in order for it to work for them and in order for them to to connect to it. Um, and either way, I think is, you know, neither is bad, either is fine. Um, but I also know that when I realized that my artistic practice was a spiritual practice, that really unlocked some stuff for me. Um, and it made me realize like why I needed to have specific things in place in order to feel comfortable enough to write and why I, you know, needed to do things like I, I have to like sort of sit and meditate for a little bit before I start writing. Because like once I meditate and this is a problem when I'm sitting to meditate at other times where I'm just like story idea, character jumping out of here, whole worlds are opening up in my head. I'm like, ah, right. But when I meditate right before I sit down to write, like all of that is good. It comes into play because then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm settling myself and I'm like opening the portal in my mind to the story that I'm trying to write. And I'm allowing myself to like really be immersed in it so that I can then put it on the page easily. And once I realized that like the, the opening the portal in my mind and in embodying that, that space that I'm supposed to be in and then being able to put it on the page. Like sometimes there's a disconnect and I'm like, why don't my words match what I understand? Once I recognize it as a spiritual practice, that made that bridge much easier. I was much easier able to take what was in my head and put it on the page because I, I did the things that I would also do in my spiritual practice around that, which is meditation and, and the, that kind of like really deep focus that before I had been sort of not even necessarily afraid. I just didn't understand the connection between them. And for me, that was like very powerful when I did it. But I also recognize that like that is not necessarily going to be the path that every person can follow to get there. But I think that it's definitely worth thinking about when when you're like trying to figure out, you know, how do you get what's in your head onto the page or how do you get in the space where you can settle in and like just open up and and let the flow come it's interesting because kind of the need for ritual has been on my mind a lot lately i think it's well studied maybe not well studied maybe i'm making it up but i think it's it's accepted in productivity circles, how about I put it that way, that setting up habits and setting up like sequences of events can help you kind of get the ball rolling on things. So if you start kind of stacking tasks on top of each other, you just kind of like start doing them, right? So like if you have a ritual, uh, like a shower ritual, right? Like, um, I get in the shower, I wash my hair, I put on conditioner, I, um, wash my face, wash my body, rinse out the conditioner, like whatever. Like if I do it in the same order every day, um, I don't wash my hair every day. So this is not my shower ritual, but like, um, (laughs) if I do it in the same order every day, then I don't have to think about it. Right. And the one time I decide to, like, wash my face first, then the whole thing is just, <laughs> it's gone, right? And then I have to think about my whole entire shower. And it's a, it's just major cognitive overhead. And the whole day is blown because my shower just, like, just just awful, right? But this applies to, to all sorts of facets of our lives. Um, and so... I think that part of it is not discounting the spiritual side of things by any means, but I think that it can also be helpful if you are skeptical of the spiritual side of things, just having a ritual where you're like, okay, I know, I know that I use this mug, I brew this tea, or I make this coffee, and this is, I don't know, the creamer that I put in it, and this is the sweater that I wear, and this is the music that I play, because you're not making decisions, and it helps your brain get into the space of, um, this is my writing mode, this is my drawing mode, this is my, like, whatever mode, then um, you're free 
to kind of like, it's almost like preheating an oven or I don't know. It, it, it's that preparatory step that kind of like, so you don't have to sit at your desk or whatever your space is and, and, and convince yourself to get in that mode because all of those steps leading up to it have been getting into that mode. And Justin has been out of town for the last couple of months. Um, and he and I live in a two bedroom apartment, um, which for Seattle, like it's a 900 foot, 900 square foot apartment, uh, two bedroom apartment, massive, massive for, for where we live. Uh, for two people who do not ever leave the apartment and who both try to work at home, it's not enough space, right? And um, and he was gone about a week and we had a call and I was like, we need to get a three-bedroom apartment because I don't have space for any ritual. I don't have space for um, my music, I want to play my music, but you're on a Zoom call. We're in the same office. Like, I, at some point, I could take a screen capture of um, of what you see behind me as I'm on a call with Tempest or playing Totally Particle or whatever. But my husband's desk is, like, right behind me. Um, and so I think that a big part of what I've been missing in my life for like since we moved to Seattle in 2018 and I lost having my own office is kind of having the space for ritual because I've had short of, you know, a less than a year when he was going into an office um, most days of the week, you know, it's been Justin and me in either a 600 or 900 square foot apartment together, and it's just not working, you know? And so, again, I, I'm, I probably wouldn't couch it as a spiritual practice. Maybe after this conversation I will, but I do think that there's a lot of value to thinking about the things that we need to have in place and the rituals that help prime the pump, I guess. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. And yeah, like whether you couch it as something spiritual or you couch it as something that is just like needed in life, um, either way, being able to conceptualize it and to say like, now I understand why it is that this isn't enough space, right? Because like you could just be like, we need more space. And somebody be like, well, why do you need more space? Everything fits, right? And you're like, because. <laughs> but like being able to say like, no, actually it's because I've realized that like I need X, Y, Z. And this is why um, the space that I have is not working out because I don't have X, Y, Z. Either way is very powerful. Like I think that whatever way you conceptualize of your needs as a person who does uh, creative work, all of it is completely fair game to be like, yes, this is this is what I need. And I need it not just like for random reasons, but for particular reasons that make my brain work. Because that's another thing. It's like, you know, our, our brains need various different things, right? And which is why like with you and I, Aline, like our brains do well in a chaotic environment as long as the chaos doesn't have anything to do with us, right? Because then it helps us focus. Um, but other people who have brains different from ours, like wouldn't be able to work in that environment at all because too much chaos means that like they can't do anything because there's like, there's too much going on around me, right? And so like, they're the people who 100% need like the no distractions, no chaos thing at all. And they can't like do the switch. Like they don't have the two modes. They only have like one mode or one and a half modes or something. Um, So yeah, it's, it, and I I think that the reason why I have, more often than not put it in spiritual terms is because so much of my own path has been, it's a dual path where I'm like not only 
learning about what I want to do and need to do creatively. But at the same time, I was learning about what I want and need spiritually. And so both of those things have like co-evolved with me. Um, and seeing them or like conceptualizing them of being like both interrelated has also helped me to be able to like, you know, stay on the path, um, and to, and to continue to work on strengthening the connections between the two paths. I can definitely see that. And like, my skepticism is my own baggage, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of history there. Uh, I don't judge anyone for having a spiritual practice. I, it's, it's just, uh, my own recalcitrance based on a boatload of baggage. (laughs) So much baggage. (laughs) Right. And like, and for some people, like that baggage means that like, they absolutely can't really think about like creativity and spirituality going together because there is so much trauma uh, for them associated with spirituality, which is 100%. Like that is a real thing. And, you know, just because like one person's spiritual path did not involve that kind of trauma does not mean that they are any better, you know, or, or even further along because like, I mean, probably of atheists have written fine, you know, works and made fine art and, and gone on. So it's, I think it's, it's also more about like, what, what do you need both in terms of like how your brain works and also how you work, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you are a person who has a lot of trauma around spirituality and religion, then thinking about your creative practice as something that is spiritual might be detrimental to you. Because then it's you're you're basically tying it to something that was traumatic. But another person who has uh, religious trauma but has has healed themselves through a different spirituality path might find that connection to be healing and allow them to to sort of like work out their trauma and then to get on the path to healing that trauma. Um, and, and so like using a spiritual framework for them is very beneficial. So I think with all things involving creativity and creative genius, um, you know, we've said many times, there's no one thing that works for anybody. There's no one size fits all. And it's always one of those things where if somebody that you admire or another person who is, you know, farther along in their creative career than you does a thing it's sometimes worth looking at to see if that thing will work for you, but it's also not wrong if that thing doesn't work for you. Right. And so it's, it, you always have to be a little bit careful sort of advising people like bring your spirituality into your creativity is like, Oh, look, all my trauma. Um, Oh, look, all the horrible things that happened. Right. Like <laughs> nobody wants Let me lay nobody this wants you to do that. Like nobody needs you to, to make that happen. That's, that is always something that you should choose whether or not it's it's what you want to bring to your art. Because I very much feel that one of the things that my spiritual practice led me to do was to face some of the the traumas that I have and put them into my art, but always with an eye toward helping me to heal it. But ironically for me, the the first book that i was that i sold is a book that started out as just being pure joy like me being on the other side of that trauma and like i kind of had to be nudged <laughs> into um still like including you know certain aspects of the things that i've experienced that were unpleasant into the work um because and i don't want to give spoilers but like it does create like a whole tableau as opposed to sort of a more narrow tableau. And the whole tableau is, is really what I intended to go for all along because, I mean, all life is a mixture of pain as well as happiness, right? And I really wanted to be like, this is Black girl joy. But sometimes Black girl joy does contain a few things where you're like, Black, black girl sad, And so I just really wanted to make sure that I wasn't like 
only focusing on the sad, but like the book about uh, the book set in ancient Egypt, the steampunk Egypt book that I have talked about on this podcast before. I'll never stop talking about it because it's uh, it's it's a thing. But like one of the things that I didn't realize was do realize I was doing until I did it was putting a lot of my frustration about racial inequality in that book, mm-hmm. and I've you know been stalled and had to go back and I'm restructuring and all this stuff, but. In the end, I realized that that was something that I needed to put in there because it is, it's part of a journey, right? And so, and and my spiritual practice has made me understand journeys and, and how important journeys are and how each aspect of the journey is not only like helping you to grow and move forward and get to the ultimate goal, but also just like telling you about yourself. Right. And in the end, like, at least for me, writing, my writing tells me about myself all the time, even when I don't recognize it. And it tells me about myself more when I deeply tap into my, my spiritual understandings in order to get to like my, you know, incarnate world, real world, understandings. And my most successful fiction has always been fiction that has, that has incorporated all of that. And just one very quickly, like one of the reasons why I sort of like clocked this, I didn't like implement it at the time, but I clocked this when I was in college, when I was leaving college, I had to write a sort of like mini thesis. And my thesis was about how artists, modern day artists are shamans. And I recognize that the word shaman is like an appropriated word, but in the Western world, we kind of don't have a catch-all word for the type of person that the word shaman sort of denotes, which is um, a person in in any group, like in each culture, whose job it is, is to go between the worlds And, you know, whatever you believe that means between worlds, but it usually means like going into the world of spirit or the world of the ancestors or the world of the deities or gods and being able to like get information and learning and then bring that back for the group. And sometimes this means that like the person who is the quote shaman is um, the person who uh, understands medicine and does the healing. Sometimes they are mainly just like the spiritual center of that culture or one of the the people who represent the spiritual center of that culture. Um, And sometimes uh, it like, it takes all sorts of forms uh, in all the different cultures, but the things that seem to connect them all is, is a person who can go between worlds and, and you go between the worlds to bring back messages from this other world that benefit your community, your tribe, your culture, whatever it is. And when artists are doing really extraordinary work that we would label as being genius, they're doing the same thing. They are tapping into some other world. And whether or not you conceptualize that other world as being like a a place of spirit, a place of the ancestors, or it's just a place in your head that you go, it's your own personal like other world that you have in your head, any of that is fine because it's still the same mechanism. You're still sort of tapping into you know, something that is outside of yourself or deep inside yourself, bringing that out for the enjoyment, benefit, um, healing of the people in your community. And this is why, you know, I was saying like, I feel like my, my work is, is helping, like, I want the goal of my work is to make culture better. Like I want to foster better understanding between people. I want people to see people who look like me as being fully human. And one of the ways to do that is through um, fiction, through narrative. Like we, like this is known, like this is not something I'm like making up here. And, but there are also other ways. Sometimes it's visual art. Sometimes it's dance. Sometimes it's music. But any truly good artist is pulling from somewhere to bring something to the culture that is ultimately beneficial in some kind of way. Even the art that you're like, that's gross. Like, oh no, but not rock and roll. Yes, rock and roll. Oh no, but not gangster rap. Yes, gangster rap. 
Like you just and and that's the thing. It's like you don't always know because sometimes the the group, the tribe, the culture that's being benefited isn't yours. But somebody is being benefited by true great art. It's kids and their rock and roll. <laughs> Man. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Unless you had something that you wanted to say. Mm-mm. I wonder, like, have you ever gotten to the place where you have created something that you really felt was like somehow it was beyond you or or like even though you created it it like exists sort of like around you or anything of that nature yeah i've felt that with um with several things i've written i mean uh there was a member special that we did a couple of years ago where we asked people where ideas came from um and i wrote like a very short story for that and i still like that um so if you're a member or uh, you want to become a member you can listen to that episode i don't know that was several years ago um i also published it on my blog i can put it in the show notes so you can hear me read it or you can go read it um like genuinely i'm a good writer i'm i am a good writer i just don't do it enough there've been yeah, I guess it's mostly it's mostly with writing, but there have been things that I've written that I've come back to years later and I've been like, oh yeah, that's that's good. I don't have I have quibbles with it because that is I think the way with most creative people. Like it's never done. We can get it to eighty or ninety, ninety-five percent maybe if we're we're really on point. But I feel like, you know, like that story is pretty close. And um, there are like, you know, some blog posts I've written that I think are pretty good. Um, Obviously nonfiction. um, But I feel like they make good points that still stand. Um, I I don't know. I I feel like I have uh, a relatable... I write like I talk. Uh, I've spent a lot of time cultivating that. And I feel like my written voice is relatable and easy to understand. It's something that I've worked toward. And I think that that works really well for me. And I'm pretty proud of that. Yay. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about um, so many of the things that we talk about on the show, including this topic. Like, I don't know that anything we talk about applies to everybody in every creative pursuit. And obviously, because you and I both skew so heavily toward writing, like we both do other creative things, but we both are, I don't know, writers first is fair to say, right? So I know we skew that way. I know that our audience is not composed exclusively of writers we have photographers we have drawers oh my gosh speaking of being a writer anyway <laughs> we've we have we have people who do a lot of various creative things in our audience but i know that like nothing that we talk about is universal including this topic right even between the two of us but the thing that i love so much about creativity And talking about creativity is how even within the topics themselves, there are things that we can pick and choose to apply to our lives or not. And that we can think about and tweak and apply um, if we want to. And I really love that. Because I don't, I I genuinely do not see myself going forward talking about my spiritual practice, but I do see myself going forward thinking more intentionally about ritual and thinking about what I need to do to cultivate and foster a creative headspace when I need it and want it. And to be more intentional with 
with my choices. And so that, you know, because I do, I do want to feel like me and I feel like me when I write. And so I need to do things that allow me to write. Anyway, I just, I love that. I love that about the show. I love this about creativity is that like, there's so much room for there's so much room for creativity and creativity, Tempest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And and also one of the things that set me on this path, one of the books that I actually read uh for the thing in college um was The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, which is basically just like sort of uh, a book version of the PBS documentary of where Bill Moyers was interviewing Joseph Campbell and then they turned it into a book. And I know a lot of people have feelings about Joseph Campbell. Like I can feel in the future when people are listening to this, their fingers itching to be like, not Joseph Campbell. He's a terrible person blah, or whatever they have to say about him. And like, I'm, I'm not here to defend Joseph Campbell because Joseph Campbell was wrong about a lot of things, but he was also wrong about a lot of things in the pursuit of understanding a lot of things that he did understand and understand well, and was able to like relate that to other people. Um, but this is not to say that Joseph Campbell was 100% right. But one of the things he talked about in the power of myth was the idea of following your bliss. And I know that other people have talked about this too. Like this is sort of one of the famous things that Joseph Campbell said. Um, and, and he basically was like, Whatever it is that you most want to do, or to put it in the terms that you just put it, Aline, whatever thing that you do that makes you feel like yourself, and when you can't do it, you don't feel like yourself, that is the thing that you were put on this earth to do. And I had mentioned that phrase earlier, and that's really where I got this from, is where like you were put on this earth to do the thing, and the reason, the way that you know what the thing is, is that it's something that if you don't do it, you don't feel right. You feel, you know, emotionally bereft. You spill, you feel spiritually bereft, whatever it is. Um, and then, you know, once you know what that thing is, that thing that you most want to do, that you were put on this earth to do, then you got to just do it. You got to pursue it. Now, what Joseph Campbell says is that when you follow your bliss, the universe will take care of you. And that's usually the part that most people are like, oh, wait a minute now. They're getting into some fuzzy woo-woo business. And it is fuzzy woo-woo business. And how you choose to deal with the fuzzy woo-woo business is up to you. Um, but I will say for me personally, that has worked out. And whether it is, quote, the universe taking care of me, whether it's a deity, whether it is one of the spiritual entities that I feel connected to, whether it's, you know, whatever, maybe it's something that I don't understand at all, but I have felt taken care of in pursuing that thing. But I also recognize that I have, I have aspects of privilege in my life that have allowed me to do that thing. One of the biggest things that sort of has allowed me to just be like, I'm following my bliss and yeah, F everything else is um, I have a very large, very loving family that is not full of horrible abusers. And thus I am close to them. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, I, I had a really like great family life growing up and I'm very lucky that like my immediate family and my extended family, all of us are very connected and we're always willing to help each other. And I know that as long as I have my family, you know, no matter what, I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going to be destitute. I may have to struggle a little bit. I may have to be poor. I may not be able to do all the things that I want to do because I don't have the money, the resources, whatever. But I will never be homeless and destitute and absolutely without money or the means to feed myself, clothe myself, etc. That's a privilege. That is a big privilege. And as I said, that is the privilege that has allowed me to say, I'm going to follow my bliss. Not everybody feels like they have that privilege or want to lean on that privilege in order to do the thing. And this is not a condemnation of them. I'm just saying that that is one of the things that has always really driven me. And I always sort of, you know, whenever I talk to people who are having struggles um, 
of this kind when they when they say things like I only feel like myself when I'm writing or I only feel like I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to when I'm writing then I'm like do it and you know whether that means that you have to like figure out ways to carve out time figure out ways to like you know have more balance whatever it is I think that you should always like pursue that and pursuing it doesn't necessarily mean pursuing it for the purpose of publication showing in public do whatever but like if there is something that makes you feel like you, and when you don't do it, you don't feel like yourself, you got to do it. Find a way to always do it because it's what you're meant to be doing. Yeah, and it's no fun to feel lost. Yeah. <laughs> no fun at all. It's not fun. Well, is there anything else to broach on the subject? I don't think so. How are you feeling about it now? I don't know. Maybe that's a topic for follow-up. Yeah. After I, I don't know, have time to sit and think about it. Because we intentionally didn't talk about it in depth previously. Wanted to save it for the show. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot to think about. And I've got... Some rituals to put in place. Woohoo. Rituals are our friends. Well, I'll say this. I am very interested in hearing from our audience um, one of three things. Number one, if you already have experienced uh, a connection between your spirituality or your religiosity and your art, I would love to know, like, how that came about and and what you're doing to support that. Like, do you also have uh, a, a writing uh, altar or, or some kind of altar for creativity or specific space in your house where you do creativity and you've set it up so that it can sort of feed you spiritually? Um, if you are not a person that has connected your creativity and your spirituality, but now that you're thinking about it because of this episode, I would just sort of love to know where you're at and where you feel like you're going. Um, and if you are a person who absolutely does not want to even think about the connection between the two, what are the ways that are not spiritual, but might be similar to spiritual thinking that you engage in uh, for your art? Because maybe like you you know, have set up a ritual around getting started, but that ritual is not spiritual. It's just like a set of things that I do and you're not thinking of it spiritually because I'm interested in, in all of these things. And, and maybe, yeah, we could, um, you know, if, if we get enough people responding, we can also sort of tap into that when we do a follow-up episode, because I would love to know if any of this has like sparked something in you and, and sparked maybe a change in how you think about your creativity. Totally agree. So how can they do that? Well, they can always uh, reach us on Twitter at Originality FM. That is the show's Twitter account. Or you could tweet directly to us at either at Tiny Tempest or at Aline, A-L-E-E-N. You could write us a note. Uh, you can go to ktempestbradford.com and I have contact forms there and you can use a general contact form to let me know. I'll also have a post up on my blog uh, pointing to this episode so you could use the comments uh, on my blog to talk about it. So those are like a few ways that you can yeah. answer those questions. That sounds great. Woohoo! And I guess that's it for this episode. No! Ah. No! I hate it when episodes come to an end. I want to keep talking forever. I don't know. But I have to establish some rituals. Hmm. You have some meditating to do. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. Well, since we are, we're, we've already talked about how we're on Twitter and and my contact info and stuff, I will say this. We did mention earlier that we do have uh, memberships through Relay FM, and you can either become a member of all Relay FM or you can become a member of Just Originality, and you'll get our members-only episodes. The one we did recently was really funny and awesome. It was a radio play, original radio play for Originality. Mm, written by Tempest Bradford. That's right. So be sure that you like 
check that out if you become a member. And if you become a member, it just supports us doing more awesome podcasts like this and talking to more people about creative genius. So yeah, follow us, support us, listen to us, subscribe if you're not a subscriber and talk to us about your stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. And we will see you next episode. Goodbye, everybody.